This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? I'm good, Wally. How are you? Good. Uh, just let our listeners know. Big show today. we got packing a lot of... Lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff into our show today. Uh, we've got uh, we'll be talking to David Keon shortly. He, David's uh, coming into town this Friday night to do a uh, promotion for a great new uh, great new whiskey uh, that Wisers has come out. It's called the Captain Captain Series, and uh, David's part of that. Uh, we'll be pleased to talk about him and uh, and his appearance this coming Friday night. Hockey Hall of Famer Brad Park. Uh, uh, we'll be chatting with him, and uh, yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. Hard to believe. Uh, the greatest sports upset in the history of sports. The greatest sport event of the 20th century, according to Sports Illustrated. Five years ago, we interviewed Mike Aruzioni, uh, and as and I had occasion to go listen to our interview yesterday uh, from that, uh, and we thought it was noteworthy enough that we were going to replay it today. Some interesting things we got out of Mike Aruzioni that day. Uh, so we'll do that at the back end of the hour. Really quickly, Naz, before we go to David Keon. The only good thing about last night's hockey game, uh, if you haven't heard about the last night's Leafs game and you're a Leafs fan, um, pretty something pretty remarkable happened last night. But the good thing is, I was lucky, Ness. I wasn't able to watch the game. I'm going uh, <laughs> to apply for the Zamboni job with the Marty's. Uh, what happened uh-huh. last night is the Carolina, both Carolina goalies had to uh, got injured during the game. In the middle of the second period or thereabouts, uh, they had to bring in the third guy, and the third guy is usually just somebody who's sitting around the rink. He's a local guy. He's not. A, he's not a part of the team. And the third guy last night was a gentleman by the call by the name of David Ayers, who uh, in his real life um, uh, is the Zamboni driver for the Toronto Marlies. Uh, I saw the interviews, and no disrespect to David, he's obviously a pretty uh, Pretty loquacious guy, really genuine guy. Loved watching the interview with him last night, and uh, great story. Uh, just unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate. He backstopped a victory against his employer rather than in favor of his employer. Uh, Naz, shameful, embarrassing. I don't know what other words to describe it. I, I mean, I introduced the Wally uneasy meter. Uh, we went into the week at 8.9. Uh, thankfully, uh, Florida uh, lost again last night. Um, if it wasn't... Um, 
If it wasn't for Florida losing, I would have had the Wally Uneasy Leaf Meter probably up in the 9.8, 9.9 range. But uh, given that the Leafs are still in a playoff spot in the third position, I'll bring in the Wally Uneasy Meter today at 9.5. They're, they're, they're letting Montreal and Buffalo catch them in the standings, so watch out. Yeah, so, something's got to change. It's been talk about a topsy turvy week. If you're if you if you die with the blue and white, Holy. man, you get you can need some psychological counseling pretty soon. Uh, a dreadful performance against the Penguins Tuesday night. Uh, a remarkable recovery Thursday night. And pathetic uh, last night. And, and last night's performance is 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 beyond description. Um, uh, man, if you can't beat a 42-year-old backup goalie with uh, who's in the net for 28 minutes in a game, you got to give your head a shake. And in fairness to the Leafs, they couldn't win either way. If they won, they, they would have said it's because of the goalie. And, and if they lost, which they did... They stink, right? So yeah, you so can't uh, win yeah, that there was a it was a unique it was a unique evening. Uh, hopefully, hopefully um, the, the the bad chemistry from last night's evening it was an, it was an interesting set of circumstances. Teams react in different different ways to that. Let's move on. Two tough ones in Florida this week, and uh, talking about Florida. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. The greatest Toronto Maple Leaf in history is voted uh, uh, also on Legends Row, uh, Canada Sports Hall of Fame. Mr. David Keon. David, how are you this morning? Waller, I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we, we we let our listeners know a little bit earlier why we're having you on the show today. Uh, you and I have chatted about it. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting uh Idea, um, you are uh, uh, sponsoring, promoting. You're part of a Wiser's Alumni Whiskey Series uh, with your name on it. It's a great label. I love it. Um, tell us all about uh, this particular opportunity, David. Well, it's a partnership between Wiser's and the NHL Alumni Association, and um, it's uh, I. I think it's uh, a four-part uh, a four-part series. Um, I am with uh, Yvonne Cornwayer and Mark Messier in the in the captain series, and there will be another series following us. And then uh, prior to our series, I think um, Wendell and Lanny and um, I think Larry Robinson or no Guy Lafleur, and then Daryl. Uh, Sittler and uh, Larry Robinson, and I'm not sure if Paul Coffey was the third one, uh, were the first two series. So we're the third, and there will be a fourth. And uh, just to let our listeners know, you, it's, a, it's a Dave Keon uh, bottle of whiskey. It's, it's got Dave uh, Dave's picture on, uh, on the bottle. It's specially blended. Yes, uh, we were, uh, the three of us were down in... Um, in Windsor, with the uh, master blender, who's uh, Dr. Don Livermore, and uh, he asked us uh, if there were any specific things that we would like to do in the blending, and uh, I think we all had our our own ideas of what we would like, and um, he helped us uh, uh, try and accomplish that, and... Um, uh, I think that um, I mean it was uh, it was a lot of fun to do and see see what the process is, and then um, 
taste the final product. And uh, and apparently, uh, uh, apparently, the final product it's it's a unique blend uh, in a in a David Keon bottle. It's uh, like I said, the 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 label is quite attractive. Um, it's a unique blend. Um, it's received great reviews, David. I've I've gone on the internet, and uh, some of the some of the whiskey reviewers really like the product. Uh, well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> I, I will I will save you the ignominy of having to discuss last night's Leaf game. We won't go there, but uh, I probably could have used about four or five glasses <laughs> of your whiskey last night watching that game last night. But uh, let, let let's not go there. Let's uh, let's stick to something positive. The 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 whiskey is a blend of corn, rye. I tend to, uh, I'm, uh, I like to sip uh, nice whiskey from time to time and went on and read the review of your whiskey, just so you're aware, David. Uh, a prominent reviewer described your whiskey as follows. The aroma rising from the gra- glass is complex with sense of orange peel mingling with vanilla, oak, spice, almond, and ginger. As the glass breathes, I begin to notice corn syrup and oak sap mingling with the orange peel, giving me an impression of marmalade and canned fruit. Unfortunately, I don't have a bottle of your whiskey here right now, but that's uh, that's got me salivating uh, a bit, uh, David. Uh, are you a, are you actually an aficionado of uh, of, of whiskey, Scotch, rye? I used to be. I I, um, I uh, used to drink Johnny Walker Black, and uh, my uh, thinking when I went to Windsor was I was trying to uh, get uh, to blend a, a whiskey that would uh, taste a little bit like that, so that it would be used in a a rocks glass with uh, ice and a little splash of water, and that would be something that um, you'd want to sip. David Naz here. How are you? Naz, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, when is this going to be released to the public? I want my bottle right now. <laughs> well, it's been, I think it's been uh, not in the city, but around the city it's been released. And I think in some uh, areas across the country, but on, um, I'm going to be at the Summerhill LCBO on uh, Friday night, the uh, 28th. And uh, anybody who, uh, who can get their own bottle? I'll be happy to sign it. Oh, that's fantastic! fantastic. Uh, and just to uh, your 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 uh, particular whiskey is part of what they call the Captain series with it uh, is, yes. with Ivan Cornway and Mark Messier. And there's some interesting uh, little factual tidbits about how they put your particular whiskey together. Uh, David, uh, it's aged a certain amount of years. It's uh, it's uh, put together in four unique barrels, and it's got a 45% alcohol by volume, all of which are unique because they reflect different aspects of your career. Uh, yes, I, 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 uh, that was... Uh pointed out to me. Yeah, 45% is represents the 45 points you scored in your rookie season. Uh, actually aged 14 years, uh, obviously the, we know the connection there. Uh, the, the jersey number 14 and the four barrels uh, celebrate your four cup wins. So it is a, uh, just so our listeners, it's a it's a, in a unique product. I'm looking forward to sipping it, uh, David. Uh, well, you don't want to. I heard your lead-in, and uh, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want you sipping it after after watching the Leafs play. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> because you won't be sipping; you'll be gulping. <laughs> 
I wasn't going to say that, David, but uh, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the humor. Listen, uh, 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 we want to thank you for coming on. I, I do want to remind our listeners, um, you know, we wanted to have you on this today so that our listeners would know that there's a special uh, place you're going to be this Friday night. It's at the Summerhill LCBO. It's on uh, Young Street uh, and Summerhill, I presume. Uh, it's prominent LCBO. It's Friday, February 28th. And correct me if I'm wrong, David, I believe you're there between 6 and 8 p.m. That's right. And and people will be able to purchase the whiskey, I presume, and you will be uh, you will be kind enough to uh, you be kind enough to sign bottles on behalf of customers. I will be or packages or whatever. Uh, bottles. Bottles, okay. And uh, well, I don't know. Maybe somebody will be buying cases. <laughs> maybe the Nasdaq game last night. They are. Uh, you know, sure. I, I may I may want I may want to stock up on more than one or two. I, these will definitely become collectors' items. Uh, it's a gorgeous label. I definitely want to have a couple in my collection, and I'd be thrilled to to pass them out to friends as uh, special gifts. They, it's a really unique product. It's a really unique label. It's a very attractive, and, and above and beyond all that, from what I've read, it's a, it's a fine whiskey. Well, I appreciate that very yeah. much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, David. And uh, once again, I encourage all our listeners, uh, make, make your way down to the Summerhill LCBO, Friday, February 28th, 6 to 8 p.m., David Keon. Thanks so much, David. All right, Wally. Thanks, Naz. You're welcome, David. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. Bye. Thanks, David. Uh, David Keon. Uh, I'll be heading down there. For yeah, I'm, I got sure. to grab a couple of those bottles for yeah. sure. And they, I guarantee you, they will become collector's items. Um, got to go to break. We've got a hot and heavy show today. We're really tight for time, so we got to get on with it. And we'll be right back with Brad Park. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville decided to stonebake our pizzas the traditional way. That was over 50 years ago. Since then, the big pizza conglomerate started cooking their pizzas on conveyor belts, like you see at the airport. Now you can choose authentic Italian stone-baked pizza or pizza you could mistake for luggage. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. 
To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 in Toronto on 96.7 FM on the internet. Live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. It's a thrill for us to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour this morning, Hockey Hall of Famer, Brad Park. Good morning, Brad. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? We're doing fantastic. Thanks, Brad. Uh, you're on Zoomer Radio. Uh, uh, all of our listeners uh, uh, are uh, of, us, of the age where they can certainly remember uh, your great play uh, throughout your career. We all remember it. Uh, New York Ranger, Boston Bruin, Toronto Marley. Uh, we, uh, we, had a, we had a talk about uh, Brian Glennie on the show uh, um, last week. Uh, you know, certainly we've lost Brian and all those great Marley games in the mid uh, Mid mid sixties, we trundled down to Maple Leaf Garden at uh, Sunday afternoons and watched some great Marley teams. Brad, uh, we'll give you the opportunity really really quickly. Uh, Brian Glennie and the '67 Marlies. Uh, your fond remembrances of him and that team? Well, he, very good friend and teammate. Uh, you know, he was uh, kind of helped me my my break in year. That was my second year in, in uh, with the Marlies, and during the first year, you know, he was. Uh, you know, a guy that you know worked with me, talked to me. Uh, you know, made made the uh, the road a little bit easier on joining the team. And uh, a kind of a guy, not not a guy that would stand up and say much, but basically would uh, you know lead by example. Brad, uh, we, only... we we had a really good nickname because he would stand up in the neutral zone and cold cock guys, and <laughs> we called him Blunt. We called him Sir William Blunt. Sir William Blunt. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, Brad. The only time you spent in the minors was with the uh, '68, '69 Buffalo Bisons, and you had Freddie Shiro as a coach. What was he like as a coach? <laughs> Hold 
on. I got neighbors that stopped by. I'm just moving <laughs> to the back of the house. Oh, right Can you repeat that for me? The only time you spent in the minors was with the Buffalo Bisons in 68, 69, yeah. and you had Fred Shiro as a coach. What was he like? Well, Freddie was an uh, you know, experienced coach. Uh, you know, the league had just basically gone uh, from six to 12 teams, and uh, they had a very successful team. Uh, you know, they won the... Uh, uh, the cup that year uh, in the uh, um, in the American League, and that's when he really got the recognition that he deserved. Uh, he was a guy that just kind of let you play. You know, it wasn't uh, where he micromanaged or anything like that. Uh, but he was uh, had a really good relationship with the players. Yeah, uh, well, talking to Brad Park, Brad. Uh you know, this week was the Quebec uh, Pee Wee Tournament, and uh, that was prominent in your early, early career. You, of course, uh, grew up in uh, the minor hockey uh, circles in the in the Toronto area. Um, and in '60, I believe you were on the very first Toronto team that ever won the ever won the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. Uh, your fond remembrances of being a little guy, and uh, apparently you were a little guy back uh, when you were younger. Uh, your fond remembrances of uh, playing in that tournament. We were with the Scarborough Lions, so we were the first Toronto team ever to go there in 1960. And at that time, uh, I was not a very tall guy. I mean, I was, when I was 15, I was five foot tall, so I wasn't, uh, you know, I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. But I was a left winger, and uh, my center iceman was Silaps Jr. And a fellow by the name of Bobby Griffin on the right side, and uh, we we just played really well together. Uh, we went there. We had uh, you know great defense, goaltending. Uh, we kind of dominated. I mean, we only had one goal against and 35 goals for, so we were kind of a powerhouse. And you continued obviously your minor career throughout uh, throughout the early 60s in the Toronto area. You graduated at the Toronto Marlies. Uh, you were a star in, in minor hockey in the Toronto area. Uh, was it your dream to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs? And uh, I'm kind of shocked that you didn't make it. Uh, you didn't become one of those Marlies that uh, never made it. Never, never became a Leaf. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was a huge Leaf fan growing up uh, in Scarborough. Um, you know, every night, Saturday night, watching hockey in Canada, watching the Leafs play. Um, you know, idolized those players uh, from that era. And it was uh, one of those things where I ended up with the Marlies, and they had been uh, experimenting with a 16-year-old draft uh, and stopped uh, signing guys to C-forms in order to give the U.S. teams uh, some accessibility to better players. Because, uh, you know, basically all the French guys from Quebec were signing C-forms with Montreal, and uh, the English-Canadian guys were signing C-forms with the Toronto Maple Leafs, so the four American teams were not getting access to these players uh, because the players got to choose where they wanted to go or try to go. Uh, so they started the 16-year-old draft, and I was the very last year of the 16-year-old draft, and uh, then they moved the age to 20. And now it's 18, but they moved it from 16 to 20. So after my first year with the Marlies was the year I got drafted by the Rangers. You came in a trade uh, with the, the big trade with Esposito and Carol Vadney and John Rattel. Was it a big adjustment coming to Boston from New York? Uh, well, I think once you get over the emotional part of it, uh, you know, you just concentrate on, on playing with the hockey. 
uh, you know, going to Boston was, uh, you know, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, Boston and New York had the best rivalry, uh, you know, in the league. They went from the two worst clubs in the league to the two best clubs. And uh, we didn't like Boston. They didn't like us. Uh, uh, I used to get hate mail from uh, Bruin fans to the point where the FBI would walk me to and from the ice when I was in Boston just uh, because of the threat. So I was like public enemy number one. So going to Boston was like, I'm going where? (laughs) So uh, once I got there, and, uh, you know, I played 10 games with Bobby Orr, and uh, the power play was spectacular. Uh, you know, it, it eased. We started to win, and Don Cherry was the coach. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it was it was different, but, you know, hockey's hockey. You're going to play wherever you are, and you're going to play as hard as you can. Uh, we're talking to Brad Park. Brad, uh, you just uh, alluded it to in your last uh, in your last comment. I was going to ask you for for good chunk of your career uh you were considered the second best defenseman in uh in in the in the world for that matter the nhl the world which is is not a that's uh, uh given the fact that who you were uh who you were behind that's uh that's not that's not an insult that's uh, that's a compliment uh no, there's never been a defenseman yeah. uh, uh, like Bobby Orr. So, you know, being a runner-up to him or second to him at that time was an honor. It's an honor, uh, yeah. You know, I, I played my rear end off whenever I played against him, and we had a lot of mutual respect, uh, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, there was one time we got into a fight, and uh, that's only normal at that time. You were, uh, you know, Bobby Orr, I guess, sir, he was the, he was, uh, he came along after Doug Harvey, uh, you know, and he sort of revolutionized the game. The game in the old days was defensemen stayed back. And Bobby Orr uh, and, uh, took the game the other way. And uh, you were, you were pretty, you were pretty uh, inventive as well as an offensive defenseman, uh, which was very unusual uh, in the late 60s until, uh, until Orr and you came along. Um, um, how did you? How did you? How did you uh, progress or evolve into an offense? Uh, aside from the fact that you were uh, obviously a fabulous defensive defenseman, how did you evolve into an offensive defenseman? Well, you have to remember what I said earlier. When I was, uh, uh, you know, when I was playing in Scarborough, I was a left winger. I was a forward. I was the guy that stick handled and went around people and everything like that. So I had those offensive skills. I, I didn't move back to defense till I was like 15 or 16. And, um, you know, took to that position because I get to go on the ice every second time instead of every third time. Uh, but once I got to the National Hockey League, I did have these offensive skills. And I was very, I was kind of blessed because um, being in New York, we had the gag line with Jean Rattel, Roger Bear, we had Phil Goyette, and Donnie Marshall and Bobby Nevin. And uh, you, what really sank in with me was the timing of offense. Uh, and uh, they were such a good line that I started to, uh, you know, jump into the rush and make it a four-man rush. Uh, you know, if I could come around the net and bypass a couple of guys with a pass and just keep going, uh, I would get into a four-man rush. And Emil Francis was the coach of the Rangers at that time, coach and general manager, and he didn't put the reins on me. And uh, the more I did it, the more I felt comfortable doing it. And, uh, you know, realize that in some situations, you you know, you got to pull up at the blue line because the play's not going to work out. But when the, if you think the play's going to work out, you got to keep going. Brad, describe your relationship with Don Cherry, please. 
<laughs> well, Don and I, uh, we're, we're good friends. He, he was great. He, he, uh, I, I remember one time he came to me and he said, uh, I, he says, Parky, I need you to do something for me. And I said, what's that, Don? He said, uh, in front of the net, I want you to be slashing guys, cross-checking them, punching <laughs> them. You know, I want you to do that every time they come in front of it. I want you to punch them, slash them, cross-check them. We, we, and if you do that, I'm telling the other guys to do it. And if you do that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do it more. Yeah, we're talking so will to, you do it? And I said, no. We're talking to Brad Beck. Brad, we've and, uh, got... Minute and a half left before we go to break, and uh, okay, quick, quickly. Go ahead, please, please. Said, Why won't you do it? I said, well, if I punch slash a guy, and uh, what's the first thing he's going to do? He says, what? I said he's going to move. And he says, yeah, that's what I want. I says, yeah, but then when he gets dangerous, I got to find him again. <laughs> he says, You're too cerebral for me. <laughs> uh, Brad, thanks for thanks for that story. Quickly, um, it's difficult to canvas such a remarkable career uh, with so many aspects of it in such a short period of time, and unfortunately, that's the challenge for us. But we'd be remiss if we let you if we let you go without at least for a minute, minute and a half, talking about uh, the 1972 experience. Um, Caused, uh, you know, prepping for an uh, interview with you caused me to go back and read a little bit about that series. And uh, interestingly enough, um, it w- reminded me of how an integral part of that series you were. You were one of only seven players on that team that played every single game. You were voted the co-MVP of Game 8 and also the outstanding defenseman in the series. Um, biggest single recollection Remembrance from that series, Brad. Oh, so I know I, there's I, millions of them, but <laughs> I think you know uh, the series uh, called me with game eight was the most incredible game that I've ever played in. Which you there scored so in. Things, you scored so in that game. That happened in that yeah. game that uh, you know it, it just makes you your mouth drop. You know, from uh, you know getting out of the first period two two. Getting into uh, you know going the third period five, down five three to tying the game and uh, fighting uh, swinging our sticks at the Red Army over the boards because they were going to throw Alan Eagleson out and recompose ourselves uh, and uh, Paul Henderson scoring with 34 seconds to go so anything that you think could happen you know just think of JP Parisi going to swing a stick at the referee you know it, it, it's an incredible game with, with so many dramatic points that uh, I'll never forget it. Brad I wish we had more time uh... Hopefully someday we'll get you back on. Listen, we want to thank you so much for this. Uh, so many great memories of uh, the fantastic player that you were for so many different teams. Thanks so much for your time. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Brad Park, thank you so much. Uh, we've got to go to break. When we come back from break, a repeat of our interview of Mike Ruzioni. Uh, it's 40 years yesterday, the miracle on ice. Listen in. Uh, some interesting observations. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, We'll never be the fastest! We'll never be the cheapest! We'll never be the snazziest dressed! What? Yeah, my point is, we want to be the best! At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza, stone-baked. 
the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do. Peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. So tell us a little bit about what you remember about uh, that Friday afternoon. I know the game started at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and I certainly remember where I was uh, during that game, but t- tell us your thoughts about uh, about that game and uh, when did you when did uh, what what Herb Brooks would have would have said to you in the pregame speech and your thoughts as the game progressed? Well, you know, I mean, going into the game, I, you know, I, I kind of always tell people: uh, if, first of all, if you think you're going to lose, you probably will. So, I mean, we knew it was going to be hard. Uh, we knew it was going to be difficult. We knew we had to play, a, you know, basically a perfect hockey game. Everything kind of had to fall into place for us, uh, and as it turned out, it did. Um, but I think, you know, Herb said to us in the locker room before the game, and I know the movie Miracle is this really long speech in the movie, but basically he said was, you were born to be a player, you were meant to be here, 
this moment is yours. And I think that was really kind of, I think in a nutshell what it was. I think for whatever reason, this team came together. Um, it's almost like a, like a perfect storm. Um, we were a good hockey team. And, and that's the one thing maybe that gets lost sometimes in the shuffle here is everybody thinks we're a bunch of guys that you know kind of got together on a Saturday and said, hey, let's play on an Olympic team. But when, when you look at my teammates and when the success they had later on, 12 of them played in the National Hockey League, uh, they played over 6,000-some-odd games as a team, uh, as, as individuals. So we, we had some players that could play. Oh, and, you, so, sorry, Mike, you'd I, certainly, you certainly did have some players that could play, and some, I, I think a couple of them actually played more than 1,000 games in the NHL. Um, yes, yes. I, I wanted to put a, you know, it's called the Miracle on Ice. It's called the greatest sports upset ever. It's called the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. I, I wanted to lay out a little context uh, for perhaps some of our younger listeners. I mean, Naz and I are both old enough to, and to have lived through it, and uh, we lived through some, uh, some Soviet Red Army Team Canada wars in the 1970s as well. But the context of, of 1980, of course, there was the, the political stuff that was going on at the time, but from a hockey context, the year before, people, people tend to forget this, the year before, that Soviet Union Red Army team defeated the NHL All-Stars 6 to nothing in Madison Square Gardens. That NHL team had 14 or 15 Hall of Famers on it. They defeated them 6 to nothing. A year later, that same Soviet Red Army team destroyed Team Canada at the Canada Cup 8 to 1. In the middle of that, in 1980, you guys are a bunch of college kids, average age 21 years old, and you defeated that machine. And uh, greatest sports upset ever, unquestionably. And you had also you had also lost to them 10 to three a few weeks prior, Madison Square Garden. Yet when you started that tournament, you th you guys thought you could win the gold medal. Well, you know, I think when we started the tournament. We thought we could win a medal. Um, we thought we could get to the to the to the medal round, and that was our goal. We weren't thinking about the Soviets; they were in another division. We had to worry about Sweden. We had to worry about Czechoslovakia, and we had to worry about West Germany. Um, those are the three countries, other than Norway and Romania, in our division. And those are the three countries that people thought we could not beat. And we ended up tying Sweden, beating. Um, Czechoslovakia, beating Nor uh, Romania, beating Norway, and then beating West Germany to get to the medal round. Now, once you're in the medal round, I think as an athlete, you believe you can win anything. And we went into the Soviet game with the thought that uh, if we played well and everything fell into place, we could win. And, and when we beat them, people still forget we had to beat Finland on a Sunday morning, a, a Finnish team that had a guy named Yuri Curry, <laughs> who was not a bad hockey player himself. Not bad at uh, all. And, and we were able to beat Finland um, to win the whole thing. So a, a lot of things had to happen. Um, and clearly everybody remembers the Soviet game, and it was an incredible victory, an incredible moment. But we had to do all the other little things in order to get there to win the whole thing. Mike, uh, the turning point, as far as I'm concerned, I thought was the Czechoslovakian game where you beat the Stasny's brothers 7-3. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. People, you know, again, the, the Czechs were the only team that anybody thought could beat the Soviets. And, and I'm not going to say we blew them out of the building, but we beat them pretty handily. So I think that was kind of, for us as a team, 
a, a realization that you know we were playing well and and we had a chance. And uh, uh, certainly the Czechoslovakian game, uh, I, I remember, and uh, going into the Soviet game. Um, and I know that I, I you know, saw a couple of your um, quotes this week. Um, the Soviets had played Canada two days, uh, I think it was two days before, and, and Canada sort of had a similar team to you guys that year, a lot of young hockey players. And uh, the, Canada, the Canadian team had given the Russians a really good go. Uh, I think it was two days before, and they were up on the, on the Soviets two uh, uh, by two goals late in the second period. Did that, uh, did that Canadian game give you guys some, uh, some ideas that maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't as, po- as impossible as people thought it was? You know, Canada, Canada had them on the ropes. Um, and, and I felt, and, and this is my own personal feeling, was if we were in the same position as Canada was, I think we're the one, we, we can win that game. And, and, and Canada should have won that game. Uh, they just didn't come out in the third period and kind of things fell apart on them. Uh, and I remember Tom Watt, and, and I said this before, and I said this to people in Canada uh, in a recent interview. He said, and, and maybe again, I'm the only guy in the team that's heard it or remembered it. He said, if anybody can beat the Soviets, the U.S. can. And to me, that was a shot in the arm. It made me realize that, look, at Canada had them, could have won, did not. But we can if we're ever in that position. And what helped us was the game never got to that. I think Canada lost 6-4, to four, if I remember correctly. That's correct, 6-4, yeah. Our game had to stay 4-3, or 3-2, or 2-1. We couldn't get into a six-goal game with them. We weren't able to score and not able to score six goals against them. Four was probably our number. And uh, what, what our success was, we only gave up three. We didn't give up six. Mike, how influ- influential was uh, Herb Brooks uh, not allowing a letdown after the Russian game? Because it, it, you could automatically go play Finland, and you already won the big game as far as anybody was concerned, and anything else after that was bonus. But how did Herb Brooks influence that game against Finland. You know, it's funny. We talked about it last night. We were all sitting around having a couple of uh, Diet Cokes. Mm. And uh, it was amazing. Mm. Our practice Saturday after we beat the Soviets was maybe the second hottest practice we had all year. He skated our butts off Saturday morning. And it was like, why? We, we just beat the Soviets, Herb. What are you so pissed off at? And, and he just made us realize that we had another game to play. <laughs> And, and, and I think he did a great job of, you know, breaking us down, getting us back to ground zero, and letting us get ready the next day to play a big game. Of course, we're talking, you're listening to the Naz and Woolley Sports Hour on 7.40 a.m. We're live. It's February 22nd. It's 35 years ago to the day of the miracle on ice from Lake Placid. And we're talking to Mike Aruzioni, the captain of that U.S winning team, and also the gentleman who scored the winning goal in that game. Mike, uh, your recollections of your winning goal? Well, I, I think the bottom line is it went in. You know, it, it was just a play that developed. Um, it's a shot that I've taken in practice, you know, uh, hundreds of times. Uh, the puck went in the corner. Uh, Buzzy Schneider dumped the puck in the zone, and, it, you know, he came off the ice. My shift was up next, so he threw it in the, in the corner and came off, and I jumped over the boards. And while I was obviously jumping over the boards, uh, John Harrington got to the puck, uh, battled a couple of Soviet players, tipped it up to Mark Pavlich, who eventually tipped it over to me, coming over the blue line. 
Um, I picked the puck up. There was a defenseman in front of me, and um, I'm not a real smart guy, but it's amazing how many things go through your mind in a short period of time. And I kind of thought if, if the defenseman stayed, I was going to use him as a screen and shoot it. If he came at me, I was going to pass it by him. There were a couple of my teammates on the left side breaking to the net. He stayed. I, I really did have a, the, the whole left side uh, of the net to, to shoot at, uh, on my left, I should say, the goalie's right. And um, the only thing I, I was worried about was because I was going across my body, I pulled it just a little, um, and I pulled it, but it still had enough of the net uh, that I was able to find find an opening, and, and it went in. And uh, it gave us the lead. I mean, there were still 10 minutes left to play. I played against Soviet teams many times. 10 minutes is a long time. Um, but, you know, we kind of hung on and played really well and uh, ended up winning. I have to give uh, you credit for something. You were the one who created Miracle on Ice with that winning goal. And uh, it's funny, we uh, I was involved with the junior team for a few years, and uh, your, that movie was on quite a bit <laughs> on our bus. And i got to ask you, how close to the truth is the bag skate after the Norway game? Um, pretty pretty dead on, other than me, you know, Mike Rizzo in the United States of America. Um, heck, <laughs> I'd have said it after the first one, not an hour and a half. <laughs> um, and we did skate. We skated for for about an hour and 15, maybe an hour and 20 minutes. We didn't do it as a whole team. Um, there were only 17 guys that dressed that night. Um, and we didn't do it all at once. We did it in uh, waves of, uh, as you you know, as imagine a practice, you know, about units of five. Um, we'd do them for about 15 minutes, and then Herb would blow the whistle and we'd stretch, and then we'd skate and we'd do it again. And, and that continued for, like I said, roughly an hour and 15. Um, they did shut the lights off in the building. Uh, the emergency lights were left on, and we skated. And then when we were done, finally Herb brought us in the locker room, and he said, gentlemen, if you play this way again tomorrow, you will skate again. And we played Norway the next morning and beat him 8 to nothing. Um, I want to ask you, uh, at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the, uh, the Miracle on Ice game, um, the reaction of the Russian players. Uh, we, did, we had the direct, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the uh, documentary movie Red Army. Uh, we had the director of that on our show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, watched that. And, and they interviewed uh, they interviewed Slava Fatisov about that particular game, and it took him about thirty seconds to answer the question because he got choked up. And thirty five years later, that's how much that game still means to him. Um, and uh, you were on the ice after you guys celebrated down with Jim Craig and you jumped all over each other. Then you had to shake hands with the Russians. Um, did any of them say anything to any of you guys? Were, were there congratulations? Were there blank stares in their eyes? What was the reaction of the Russians? The, the, the second part is blank stares, uh, kind of looking at us like, what the hell just happened? Um, and shaking hands. I don't remember good games. I don't remember congratulations. I, I just, you know, my, my, my smile was pretty big. And they just kind of were staring at us as we went through shaking their hands and in disbelief, I guess. I mean, they thought they were going to easily win the game. They, they had dominated the tournament. I mean, they were averaging, I think, seven or more than seven goals a game. They beat two countries like 16 and 17 to nothing. So, um, it, it was almost like they couldn't believe what, what had just happened. Uh, Herb Brooks, uh, I guess because of uh, 
Um, and he certainly became immortalized in the movie, uh, you know, Kurt Russell. Uh, how close was Kurt Russell in terms of uh, his performance? How, how well did he recreate, recreate the real Herb Brooks? I, I thought Kurt Russell was brilliant as Herb Brooks. Uh, his mannerisms, his language. Um, the only difference was in the movie, Kurt was a little friendlier and a little softer than Herb, <laughs> Herb was. Herb was a little. I know people laugh when I say it, but he was. He was a little more intense. Uh, but I thought Kurt's performance uh, was pretty amazing. And you know, when I, when we watched the movie as a team, I think we realized that it was. It's really the Herb Brooks story, and, and we were part of it. Um, I thought the movie captured what the moment meant to a nation, and I think the movie captured how close our team was. Um, and, and that was, I think, the, the good thing for us to watch. Herb Brooks, um, he was, I think he was quoted by yourself, maybe not, that he was way ahead of his time. What was he like? Uh, he must have had another side to him other than the tough guy act. What was he like? Well, if he did, we never saw him. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. You know, even when Herb was coaching the Rangers, I was the color commentator for the Rangers, and still he had that stern look in his face, and I told my wife one day, uh, you know, if Herb calls, I hope he's not going to yell at me, and here I was, you know, 40-something years old with three kids, and if the phone rang, I'm like, God, I hope Herb isn't going to be mad at me for something, so he, he still had that kind of aura about him, but you said something earlier that he was ahead of his time. Um, the NHL today, they, they play the way Herb wanted us to play. Um, he bought, he, he brought to our team uh, as, as he wanted to do a, a blend of the European game and the North American game. And when you see now players, you know, fly in the zone or crisscrossing and, and you know, which I would like to say is, it was more of the international play that we did in 1980. So the, the man was brilliant when it came to the game of ice hockey and wanting to change the way we as, as, as a, a U.S. team, but even the North American game and felt that in order to compete and win against the Europeans, you had to play a little more of their style than your own style. And we're uh, talking to Michael Ruzioni, of course, the captain of the U.S. Olympic team, the Miracle on Ice in 1980, scored the winning goal, and it's the 35th anniversary today of, uh, of that uh, day in sports infamy. Uh, but what people forget, Mike, is, uh, and we just talked about it very briefly earlier, is the, you didn't win the gold medal when you, won the Rus- when you beat the Russians that day. You had, you had to come back two days later on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and I remember that game like it was yesterday as well. And if, my, if my memory serves me correct, uh, you guys were actually behind 2-1 to one at the end of the second period. So certainly the gold medal didn't come easy in that last game either. And, and, and Herb Brooks said something interesting uh, uh, and, uh, during the, in between the second and the third period. And uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll, I have to obviously leave the expletive out of it. Uh, but he said to you guys, you're down 2-1, to one. the gold medal was on the line, and he came into the dressing room and he said to you guys, if you lose this, you will take this to your starts with F and ends with N, Graves. Is that true? Is that correct? Yes, he, you're dead on. He, he walked in the locker room, uh, and before he walked in, the energy in the locker room was incredible. Jack O'Callaghan, I mean, he said it a, a, a hundred times. There's no way a bunch of Finns are going to keep us from a gold medal. And nobody was sitting in their locker. They were all standing up, and everybody was, like, jacked and excited. 
And I, I still think that Herb kind of fed off that. And he was outside the locker room. He walked in the locker room. He stood in the middle of the locker room. He pointed his finger and he said, if you lose this game, you'll take it to your effing grave. And then he walked out. He stopped at the door and he turned around and he said, you're effing grave. And the interesting part was Herb never swore. He never <laughs> heard any language like that from Herb. So I think he just brought it to the point for us to realize it. And I think we realized it. We knew it. But but I think those comments were, were dead on. I mean, we didn't go to the Olympics to win one game. We went there with the hopes and dreams of winning the whole thing. And if we lost to Finland, there was a chance we couldn't have even won a medal, um, let alone the gold medal. So uh, that was the biggest game, you know, biggest 20 minutes. And I think we played the best 20 minutes of hockey throughout the Olympics in those 20 minutes and were able to win the whole thing. With Mike Garuzioni, Mike, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I know you've got some plans. You've got to, you've got to get out of town as well, and we won't keep you much longer. Uh, I just want to. I, I noticed I watched quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of video footage uh, in the last few days of of the Miracle on Ice in the Finnish game. And the one thing I noticed, all you guys celebrated like crazy, as deservedly so, after both the uh, both the the Soviet game and the Finnish game. And the cameras go to Herb Brooks, and he walks. He walks to the dressing room. He doesn't come on the ice, and reportedly he walked to the dressing room and he cried, uh, which you may find that hard to believe. But um, <laughs> apparently that's that's what happened. And I just want to I want to finish the miracle on ice and the finish story by you guys went to the dressing room. You just won the gold medal. Herb Brooks comes into the room. What does he say to you guys? <laughs> You're going to be blown away by this. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word. Never said a thing. Um, never said a thing after we beat the Soviets. Never said a thing after we won the gold medal. Uh, at the press conference, uh, I had heard, or we had heard him say that he was very proud of our team, that he demanded more out of our team than any team he had ever coached, and that he was proud. And that was it. I mean, Herb, the whole thing with Herb throughout the year was Herb was going to, it was us against him. He was going to develop a character where he was just going to stay away. Uh, he was going to be the bad guy. Uh, Craig Patrick, our assistant coach, who was a huge part of our success, people don't realize how important Craig was, um, was going to be the good guy. He was a, a, a good cop, bad cop. And, and Herb let us develop the team and the chemistry that we had. He coached. And if he had ever come on the ice after we won, but I think the guys would have went, oh, now all of a sudden you want to be a part of us. He stayed true to form until until the day he died. When we, when we had team functions, he never came. Uh, he let us enjoy him. I might get a phone call from him two days later and say, "How'd the event go? Were the guys there? Everybody fine?" And and uh, that's what he. That's how he was. I I really think he would have loved to have been close to this hockey team because I really think he loved the players that he coached. But he he wanted to maintain, uh, you know, his distance, and, and he did all the way. Of course, we haven't, you know, we've been talking about Herb Brooks here for about uh, 20 minutes. We haven't even mentioned that he tragically passed away in uh, in 2003. And, that, of course, that's why he couldn't have, he, he, I'm sure he would have been there last night and you would have loved to have had him there. But I, I don't know if he would have come last You don't night. think he would have come? I don't think he would have. I seriously, you know, I think he would have stayed away and called somebody the next day and asked how it went. 
That was our interview with Micah Ruzioni on The Miracle on Ice, which was the 40th anniversary of it yesterday. We actually interviewed Mike five years ago on the 35th anniversary. We actually were the first people to interview him that morning. Uh, Some remarkable, remarkable remembrances of that. uh, Day that will live in sports infamy. Naz, we've got about 20 seconds left. Uh, Last Leaf comment before we go. Well, they may make the playoffs, they may not. (laughs) Well, the Have the Wally Uneasy meter, uh, Wally Uneasy meter is at nine point five. I if they got two games in Florida. It could very well be moving towards ten by the I'm by the time to, we're on I'm next going Sunday. Going to apply today for the Zamboni driver's job <laughs> at. Coca-Cola. We'll have some fun with that again next week. To all our listeners, uh, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.